today's episode, How to Thrive in Ultras with Attitude and Philosophy with Sean Bearden. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, and smarter runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am the guy to reach out to when you've finally decided enough is enough with your persistent running injuries. I'm a physiotherapist, the owner of the Breakthrough Running Clinic, and your podcast host. I'm excited to bring you today's lesson and to add to your ever-growing running knowledge. Let's work together to overcome your running injuries, getting you to that starting line and finishing strong. So let's take it away. I think Sean Bearden has not only become the top ranked uh, most favorite interviews that I've ever done, but I think he's become one of um, my favorite people of all time. Our interview went uh, a little bit unexpected that I was anticipating when I wrote down these questions and loved every moment of it. Sean is the host of Science of Ultra podcast. He has several platforms, websites, YouTube, Twitter, uh, under the same name. He is a professor of physiology at the Idaho State University and delves into things like physiology, bioenergetics, uh, thresholds. He mentions uh, running economy as well. But today we mainly dive into the mental side of things when it comes to ultras. And like with a lot of my questions, a lot of people think about grit and determination, but... Sean has a particular different take on things. He also has a different philosophy with how people should train for ultras, which I found really, really interesting. And just everything he talked about really resonated with me. And uh, I think some of the best interviews that I've had in the past with my other podcasts as well are the ones that are truly unexpected. A lot of times I write down questions and really, really want to get people's take, but can kind of anticipate 90% of how they're going to answer it and Sean just took it in a totally new direction. So it was an absolute blast having him on. You guys are going to love this episode. So let's take it away with Sean. Sean, Professor of Physiology at the Idaho State University. Thanks for coming on and uh, bringing on some wisdom, hopefully around some ultra running. Uh, so let's start off with what you're working on, like with your academic career, where everything is at the moment. and um, maybe perhaps explain a little bit about bioenergetics. Uh, oh, indeed. So yeah, my name is Sean Bearden. I'm, I'm a full professor uh, at Idaho State University. And so the professorship process goes through three tiers from assistant professor to associate professor, and that's where you get tenure and then full professor. And so I've been at Idaho State University now for 15 years. And my research has come full circle so I started off as a human performance physiologist. I mean, exercise physiology is my, is my degree, is my background, trade, and training. And I've always been fully in love with understanding human performance. But as we do, we get into research, we start clambering for the, the really mechanistic studies, really understanding what's going on, being sure that our science is as rigorous as it can be, and when you start going down that road, you you often find yourself on the slippery slope of going towards 
animal research and even cell culture research. And, and I did that and I had a, a great and wonderful, well-funded lab um, through the National Institutes of Health but I was finding myself progressively getting into things that I enjoyed less and less, even if I was able to answer questions more rigorously. And so I've come back now to more what we'd call traditional human performance research. And with my love of ultramarathon running, that's where it's focused. So I teach in the teaching side, I teach future healthcare professionals. I teach the biggest courses at our university. I, I teach about four to 500 students every year that are all going into different versions of health, future healthcare professions. And I research surrounding, as you said, bioenergetics, especially those energetics that are relevant to fatigue, things like pacing strategies, uh, sleep deprivation, running economy. And when I started my research, that's really where I was focused was running economy. So I was particularly interested in, in how muscle cells are recruited and the energy that they use. Where do they derive that energy and how efficient are they using that energy to give us locomotion? So if we run very easy, we run a little bit harder, we run harder still, how are those needs and those demands met at the, at the level of the cell and energetically? Uh, and then of course, as you mentioned, I do the podcast. So, so these are my sort of my, my three arms of, of interest these days yeah they're all kind of intertwined within each other i'm sure you're picking up a lot of useful information when it comes to running ultras yourself it's fantastic when your hobbies and your profession overlap yeah absolutely uh and where are you with your running at the moment do you uh in the last couple of months have you been to any races or doing any training well because of covid19 the races i had signed up for have all been cancelled there's still one out there that's actually right here. It's in fact a hundred miler right here in my my mountains, the mountains around my house, that hasn't canceled yet. Now it's about still about eight weeks off, but I think it's about to cancel. Anyway, I've been training for that, and now that the COVID-19 lockdowns and cancellations have come on, I have made the decision to not change anything. I'm training right up to that next hundred miler date, and if it's canceled, I may either just go run it my own anyway, or I will just take that as a, a really big peaking in training and then and back back down to uh, another sort of another cycle, if, if you will. I, I have a view of training that differs a little bit from, from some other views, although many share mine, and that is that we really should be doing the same, mostly the same things, the same volumes, more or less all year round. And then we just take a little side detour to pick up the little bits and pieces that we might need that are specific to our race. But I really don't like the, the process that I see sometimes, which is these big ramp ups to a race and then a, then a big drop off for recovery and another big ramp up. I think that that is less likely to provide long-term health and longevity. Yeah, right. So uh, on any given month, what would your weekly mileage be? Right now I'm averaging just over 90 miles a week. Okay. Wow. And how much would that fluctuate throughout the year? I, I never want to see it for myself, get less than 70 miles a week, but there would be a reason for that. I maybe had to travel for two days and just couldn't get in mileage or something like that. So really 
I should be typically for me, I should be between 80 and 90 pretty much year round. Yeah. Right. I think it's good that you're still maintaining some training and like staying focused. I think it helps like mentally as well. I know people that are, are really frustrated with uh, races getting canceled and they just don't know what to do with themselves. So I, I think it's really positive to stay focused is, do you have like a particular favorite distance or terrain? You know, I, I think my answer to that would be one thing today and it might have been something different a year ago and I expect it may be different again a year from now and it centers often around what I'm most curious about from the side of physiology and psychology in in that period of time you know so right mm. now I'm really enamored with the 100 mile distance and the only the reason that I am is I'm just really interested in that that those last miles 20 or 30 miles and what you can do in the first 70 or 80 to set yourself up for the best situation in the last 20 or 30. So that intrigues me to no end right now. But, you know, two years ago it didn't, and two years from now it may not as well. Uh, um, so it's, it's often just sort of in the moment is, is my, whatever I'm interested in physiologically, I think tends to be my favorite race. Yeah. Uh, just having a look at your bio, it seemed like you just jumped straight into ultras. Um, is that accurate or uh, is the bio maybe a little bit misleading? Oh no, you've got it. <laughs> that, that's it, man. That's it. I thought sure. as much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I, I may have a PhD, but I've, I've not often been uh, accused of being extremely smart with my own behaviors. <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the thing is I, I started off my life really well as a swimmer, if, if we go back to really little, but that was only very little. And then I was quickly into soccer and, or football as many will call it. Um, and soccer was my love, my passion. I, I played at a pretty high level. And, and then after that though, at that, that time, we didn't have um, options, really many options. I did co-play in Ireland in the Premier League, Ireland for one year, but really we didn't have many options. And, and I was interested in pursuing a career in academia. So I went on to graduate school and, and soccer went by the wayside. But, but then, you know, you, you can only get into that adult life for so long before you really start thinking, can I still get fit again? Can I still be that guy? Can I still do what I did before? And you know, soccer wasn't an option. People go kick it around on the weekends, but nobody was going to be as serious as I wanted to be again. So I just started looking at what's around. I thought about triathlons and I thought about marathons. But when I saw the pictures online of what those events looked like, the throngs of people crowded and packed in together, I just knew that wasn't for me. And then I discovered that we had a race right here, right in my area, a trail running race. And even though I hadn't been doing that, I, I said, well, that's it. This scares me a little. It doesn't totally terrify me, but it scares me a little. So it must be right. Uh -huh. And the longest distance was a hundred kilometers at that time. It's now, it's now a hundred mile race, but the hundred K was the longest distance. And I just knew if I signed up for a shorter distance, it was going to be less satisfying. So I went for the hundred K and yes, you're quite right. That the longest running race I had ever done before that was a five K in college for a friend who was putting on a, a publicity thing and that was it and um and i went straight into 100k <laughs> that's unreal <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think we'll uh diving into kind of like the first question i have written down here uh when we're talking about ultras 
when, usually when I think of someone progressing through their running career, they usually, you know, start with a 5k and then they go to a 10k and then maybe a half marathon, then a marathon. And usually when they get to that marathon, they either, um, tick off the box, tick it off their bucket list and then, um, try something else or they stick to marathons and they say, okay, let me do one marathon a year. And then they go to maybe two a year and then they maybe travel for a marathon. Uh, but then there's a certain period or a certain section of people who then jump into ultras. And I just want to ask, like, based on your experience, um, has there, what, what would be the key differences that someone might expect if they were to make that jump from marathon to ultra? Where's the, where do the differences come into it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. It, ultras, especially ones on trails and in mountains, are are just different pursuits. We think of it all as running, but they're very different. So I think first and foremost, don't expect an ultra to just be a longer version of what you've done if, uh-huh. if you're going from, say, a road marathon to a trail ultra. You have to embrace that the paces are slower, especially on trails and in mountains. You have to embrace the the fact that taking care of yourself becomes more important. There's more craft in longer ultras than shorter road events. You know, things like knowing your gear and knowing how to fix a blister and, and knowing what uh, uh, drop bags to put in places. That That's what I mean by craft. You have to embrace that walk, walking is a part of the endeavor. Uh, that's important. Uh, another thing is that, that I think you have to embrace that, that ultras especially longer ones are not pure running events. I mean, I just said that with walking, but, but as such, really, there's much more to them. They're more like adventures. So there's a mindset shift that needs to take place. And so it really does require a different sort of mentality, a mindset, attitude, internal dialogue, conviction, perseverance. They all come in different flavors in, in most ultras versus shorter races, especially if you're going to be alone on the trail for long stretches. But I think it's also important, you know what, to appreciate what's similar. I mean, it's still a lot of running. It's still a lot of putting one foot in front of the other. Most of the basics of training are the same. You still want to focus on good sleep, uh, good mindsets of focus and trust and calm and confidence. You, you still need good nutrition and you still need good workouts. So at the basics, there they're not all that different, but there are just some tweaks that you might need to appreciate, uh, as, as I've mentioned here. But people, so many people do, they take on a 5K, they do it, they're proud of themselves, and they think that the 10K or, or a half marathon is somehow now a bigger challenge. And then they step up to a marathon. And as you nicely laid out, that progression can then go to an ultra. And I really hope that any listeners here don't fall into the trap of thinking that longer is somehow better or more special or more epic or or in any way that they're just, they're different endeavors and know that you're getting into what you're wanting to get into because dropping down in distance and going for your faster 10 K for example, is just as cool and epic. At least I think so. Yeah. And I think people might get into that trap because I think that that transition from half marathon to marathon is quite similar and they're um, facing things like maybe it's a bit mentally challenging or maybe attrition is um, a little bit more of a factor when it comes to the marathon, but they might just think that 
it's just that next progression. Um, so I'm glad that you laid that out and you answered that perfectly. It's exactly why I asked that question. And when you're talking about, it's just a different type of race and you're, it's more like in nature, that kind of thing it makes me think about the, I've interviewed a couple of ultra marathoners in my other podcast. And one that, um, struck me was uh, John Kelly, who'd done a few of the the Barkley marathons. And when I was interviewing him, he said, I was just excited to start. And it was kind of a different type of excitement. He wanted to be out in nature. He wanted to be isolated. He was just ready just to have a really nice um, time, just being immersed in all that nature. And I guess what you're saying kind of alluded to that, it's that, um, that love for being on your own and being in nature would do I get that message across? Okay, would you agree with that? Absolutely. No, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think one of the things that, that is really useful for somebody who's considering going on to, to an ultra, especially if it's like you're saying, like in the like ones that are in the woods and in, on trails and in mountains, but I recommend to people is go volunteer at one. Volunteer and be at an aid station and really see what it's like. See what the runners look like. Do that at the beginning of the race. Maybe be also be at the end where you can see some of the wreckage and carnage, <laughs> and and just and see what it's like. Because you may decide, oh, you know what? Like this is a totally different thing. This isn't actually what I really want to do, and that's totally fine. But that's a soft way of really checking out what it is. But you're totally right. My first hundred miler, people ask me, am I nervous? And you know, how's it going the night before? And all I thought was, oh, let's just get this thing started. Like, I'll, let's just go now. Because the cool thing about especially really long ultras like a hundred miler is you can start off walking. It's totally fine. In fact, it's even recommended for a lot of people. So there's much less of a stress about the start gun. You know, it's not like a 5k where, you know, it's going to hurt from the start. Like you can just be out there and enjoy it and let the day come. And, and that's one of the great joys of it as well. So just know what you're getting into and maybe have um, a little heads up by volunteering at a race is a good idea. Yeah, perfect. And just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. And maybe like those who start running and say, oh, this isn't for me because they look at the 5K and the half marathons and they are hurting from the get-go. Maybe ultras might be for them. They just haven't discovered it yet. I know many people who have said that they run 100 milers because marathons hurt too much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very cool. How about uh, any common mistakes that you might see runners when they transition from that that marathon to ultra? Yeah, you know, ultra marathons hinge a lot on psychology. Now, a fifty k is technically an ultra marathon, and a flat fifty k is a lot more like a marathon or even a half marathon or any races that that other people might be familiar with. But when we're talking about the longer races, the races that take more time, psychology comes in more and more and more. And so the mistakes that I see most for people, honestly, are what I mentioned earlier in physical training, which is just 
ramping up too much. That is, they sign up for a race they think they're interested in in 10 months, and then they decide how much running they're supposed to be doing for that race, and they just draw a straight line from what they're doing now to what they need to be doing for that race. I call that bending the training. And what happens is they slog through the day because they really weren't ready to ramp up that much that fast, and maybe they get through it, but it's just not the kind of experience that it could or should be. So bending their training rather than taking time to really get there, maybe two years even, that's number one. But number two, it's underestimating the psychology and not training the psychology. It's so easy to do as well, which is unfortunate um, to, to watch when people uh, don't, uh, don't train their mind for these events, but it becomes more and more important. Yeah, we'll touch base on the um, ways to improve on the psychology or the mental side of things in a second. Um, when you're talking about the ramp ups and sometimes people can get in trouble with that, what I see a lot with runners is they'll give themselves, you know, three, four months and think that's a good build up phase. And then once they're injured or needing a little bit of recovery, they're like, oh, no, I'm injured. I need to nurse this injury but now it's only two months away and then they try and get back a bit too quick and that injury flares up again. Then they start to worry, Oh no, now it's only eight weeks away or six weeks away. I need to get back. You know, I'm not where I should be right now. And then it's just this constant worry of trying to jump back in, but jumping in too much because there's not a lot of time left. And then they get into this big trap and it can lead to them either running injured during their race or having to bail on the race to start with. Um, that's what I think about when it comes to those ramp ups and those time frames that I see very, very commonly. Uh, whereas your approach is um, it, there's less margin for error. And like, you can just, if you maintain that whole state of that mileage, um, it leaves you in a bit more of a safe space. Absolutely. Right. Yep. Yeah. Great. Spot on. I like that. Um, how about any, common characteristics or traits you might see with runners who do thrive in ultras have they have you noticed or come across any common um patterns absolutely have yeah and to come back to it mindset it, without a doubt mindset is it um and mindset to me is we should define it is the combination of attitude and philosophy and i think we all get the idea of what attitude is um, I don't mean attitude as in you know, chip on your shoulder. I mean attitude as in the direction you're heading. Like a ship has an attitude. That means it's, it's the direction it's heading. You know what's to the side of you, what's behind you. You know where you're going. And then philosophy to me is just a nice word to encapsulate your framework for making decisions. So how am I going to choose the race that I'm doing? How am I going to choose my preparation for that race? And so on. It's the framework for deciding what's in and what's out. And the most successful runners of ultras are the ones who encounter adversity and see it instantly as something to solve without ever resisting it. So they're able to shut down what we call the brain's default mode network or DMN, which is the area that's concerned with I and me. It's the area of your brain that if we're doing a functional magnetic resonance imaging of your brain and we ask you to think about you, it's that area that lights up. So these people shut down that area. That is, they, they see what's in front of them as a circumstance 
rather than an internal problem with themselves. And so the training side is actually quite simple. Run a lot, you know, <clears throat> run up to three hours at a time, maybe once in a while longer if you have some specific to work on, add in some fast stuff once or twice a week. The training is really not all that complicated and it's not all that different from, from training for shorter distances. Um, but it's this, it's this mindset that really separates the people from, as you put it, thrive in ultras uh, compared to those who struggle. Okay. Uh, I might ask for maybe a practical kind of example between the two or like a differentiated approach. If someone like they're doing the same mileage and someone goes into a hundred miler and they don't thrive versus someone who does how they mentally approach it differently. Um, could we maybe go into a little bit more detail and maybe just like a practical example? Absolutely. Yep. So I'm, I'm running along. I'm starting to feel tired. I ran out of water. I probably should have filled up that water bottle, that second water bottle, maybe at the last aid station, but it's okay. I've got a few miles. I'll make it to the next one. Suddenly I trip over a rock or a, or a root. I fall, I skin up my hands. The one person, the one who's going to thrive, pops up almost laughing as they were falling down, pops up and says, okay, there it goes. Something is going to go wrong. I knew things were going to go wrong. There it is. There's the first one. Let's deal with this. Look at the hand. All right. It's bleeding. Should I wash it off? How bad is it? Maybe I've got something I can cover it up with. All right. Fair enough. Am I good otherwise? Did I hurt myself in any other way? All right. Let's carry on. Now I need to get water when I get to that next aid station. That's the person who's going to thrive. The person who's not going to thrive is the person who falls down tripping and is already in anguish before they've even hit the ground. They come up and they think, I am so stupid. You know, I've been tripping even in, in training lately. I'm just not really a good runner. Maybe I don't, maybe I'm not training right. Maybe I'm, my legs are just weak. I don't know. I probably overtrained. I didn't taper well. I'm not really cut out for this. I'm certainly not like those people I just saw back there who looked like they were just having a good time. This is not for me, right? So it's that internal dialogue. The person is going to see it as a circumstance and they're going to work with it. It's exterior to them versus the person who is going to internalize it and turn it into a self-defeating dialogue. Yeah, that's a perfect answer. And I reckon um, that helped like um, answer that in my mind, the way I understand it a lot more as well, because I think people can put themselves in those two boxes yeah. or see people in personality wise that might fit those two categories. Do you see outside of ultras like that sort of personality type and you see people approach the same problems or tackle the same situations the same way and you think to yourself um they've probably got the characteristics to thrive in ultras oh yes yes <laughs> it's so funny that you brought that up i've never actually had a conversation with anybody about running who turned it that way i hear so many people talking about how running can help your your regular life and i actually see it more like you just put it i see people the way they handle a problem the way they react to a situation and I think, oh man, I bet you'd be good out on the trail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems like you're immersing your whole life in ultras if you're thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, in some ways, in some ways. But you know what? I honestly, I think that that this is, it's great to view your whole life this way. And so that's why that parallel is there things are going around constantly. You're constantly having conversations in your head. Ideas are constantly popping up. Emotions are constantly popping up. Being aware and seeing them and that mindset of, of your attitude and your philosophy and how you 
how you deal with that next step, how you deal with that very next moment is something that takes practice. It isn't something that people are just born with. We often say that, oh, well, they're just tough or whatever. It, it is something that you must work on and you must practice. And the more you do it, the better you get at it, but you've always got to be working on it. And, and the cool thing is, the cool thing is that you can work on it every minute of every day because this is this is where what our minds are doing all the time yeah cool when i think about that i i think of the personality who's just like um positive like naturally positive but then also laughs at themselves like the example you had before like you can easily pick people outside of running who are okay with just laughing at themselves if they do something silly but also those who aren't necessarily that competitive with other people maybe competitive within themselves but happy to see other people thrive and they want to raise people up and when i think about trail running and i think about i can't really speak for ultras because i haven't done one but a lot of people like are really happy just to encourage other people yeah keep going and um yeah just help raise everyone up because they're all in this together that kind of shift rather than marathons who are highly competitive and just wanting to uh chase down the next person, beat the next person, that kind of thing. Yeah. And you're getting to something there that's really important and really deep when it comes to the way a person views the word competition. You know, competitions, are you looking to beat someone else to best them? Or are you hoping that everybody puts out their best effort, enjoys the day, and you're just hoping that your best on the day turns out to be better than than all the rest and you'll revel in that but it's not a trying to beat someone else or put somebody else behind you it's simply hoping that your best is good and those are two different ways of viewing competition and i think the second one is the one that is healthier long term definitely yeah especially if things go wrong and like you say if your um nutrition isn't great or if you're run out of water if you trip over and skin yourself it's like um you have it you approach it differently if those two attitudes are different i want i've got another question written down here which i think we've covered most of it but um i'll ask it anyway and see where it takes us when i think ultras a lot of it is the mental game the mental strength the grit determination and like Alex Hutchinson sort of referred to like performance and endurance kind of as the the central governor, like taking control uh, regarding performance. Uh, do you kind of see it in the same light? I, I do in, in some ways. Yes, absolutely. And though I think many, so many of these terms that we might use can be used to describe ultras, right? And the qualities needed to be successful at them. But we also, I know you and I as podcasters are thinking about hearing things through our listeners ears right so so using specific terms can sometimes i find at least cause confusion especially to people who haven't run races like this and they're thinking about them because the listeners often then have to reverse engineer the terms and by that i mean we imagine a scenario we say that it takes pick a word determination to get through that and then the listener takes that term and tries to imagine scenarios in which they'd interpret the successful behavior as determination. And so now they're trying to come up. So it's for an example of why I'm, or why I'm really glad that you asked me for an example a few moments ago, because it's often useful to present those real scenarios and hear real stories about what goes wrong in the process of dealing with them. So the listener then can put their own labels 
on them. So you use word like, words like strength or grit and there was determination in there. You know, I see, for example, important characteristics like, uh, well, flexibility, resilience, fun, perseverance with a smile, those kinds of things. And you can see how a term you used like strength, which I totally agree with, but a term like what I used, flexibility, can require some explanation. How can they both be required? Um, so uh, I do think of those terms and, 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 I, and Al, things that Alex has described as well within ultras, but I also am cautious always to make sure that I try to elaborate on those specific terms a little bit so that people who haven't run these races get a better understanding of the words because, and the, the main reason, I'll wrap up my answer here for you, but the main reason is that sometimes we hear words like toughness, hardness, tough as nails, those kinds of things. And I think we can we can quickly go down the wrong road in beginning to describe a person in a way that we don't want a listener to start thinking about the way they should be. Because I think that there are a lot of mindsets that are promoted for and about the ultra community that are actually not right and that are not what we should be striving for. We don't want to be hard. We don't want to turn off our pain sensors. We, we don't want all those things. We want to have strength, but it comes from an, an internal place of being aware and mindful and loving ourselves, not that like just, you know, the, 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 the thing I remember from soccer, I remember long years ago, we talked about, and I won't name the countries because it's maybe not appropriate, but we said, how do you, how do you compare soccer in country X to soccer in country Y? And we used to say, well, in country X, they make love to the ball. In country Y, they eat it, <laughs> right? So sometimes these individual words could potentially be interpreted as both things. And we want to make sure we're making love to the sport we're doing. We're not eating it. Yeah. And then, cause that could determine, uh, how you react when things go wrong as well. And if you don't have a good performance, that those two differences can, um, I guess someone can be really down themselves and angry at themselves for not performing, but the others can take it like a learning experience. And like you say, be flexible. And when you say the word flexibility, it, it kind of, when I think about that, it means like able to kind of adapt to different scenarios. Cause you, it's, can be totally unpredictable the scenarios that you come across would uh that uh do you have would you have a different definition of that flexibility no that's it and the imagery i bring up as i think about that uh that saying that goes something like in a hurricane or maybe it's a tornado the mighty oak tumbles but the flexible reed survives ah cool i like that one and yeah, like you're saying, like if we use words like grit and determination, that might help someone, but might often be misinterpreted yes. to something quite detrimental. You got it. Yeah, cool. And how about if someone were to uh, work on their mental resilience and mental strength, do you have any strategies outside of a race to like prepare for such a uh, long, grueling endurance race? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, I, I for sure do. I, I, the, as I mentioned before, the really exciting thing, I think, about training the mind is that we have the opportunity to do it all the time. 
all throughout the day. And we can do it continuously throughout the day. So it first starts with, with recognizing that everything is really in our mind. And I might get a little too philosophical for you here. So you just pull me back Therefore. and jump in if, <laughs> if it's the case. But, you know, it is all in our mind. Our entire experience of life takes place in our consciousness. And we can go on to jokes about the movie, The Matrix. You know, those aside, all we wear, and if people don't know The Matrix movie, it seems an older movie now. It, it's basically where people are plugged into electrodes and they think they're living a life, but actually it turns out that they're, they're just being, their brains are being stimulated to create this life they think is going on. We really don't know. We might be in a matrix or something like that. Our experiences are only in our mind and in our consciousness. And so I don't really think we are there. So I'm not, not off the edge here, but you know, that's the point. All we know is what we have in our consciousness. So when there comes a challenge to moving forward in some way, whether it's in life, in in an ultra we first have to recognize the thoughts and emotions that are arising you have to you have to notice that you've had this thought that this emotion has come up and and you create this perception of what's what we're doing right now what's going on for right now because we're um you were trying to move forward and now we've suddenly had this thing that's going to potentially limit us. So you recognize it first. Recognize your thoughts and feelings. And you can practice that every day through formal means like Vipassana meditation. You can set a timer that dings every 20 minutes. I think that would be a little annoying, but I actually know some people who have done that. The timer goes off and it reminds you to check in on your awareness and your attitude, recognizing your what's going on in your mind at that moment. So that's the first step. After you recognize that you're having a distracting thought or emotion that takes you out of the, the present moment or distorts it, then you identify, identify what it is. So recognize, identify. It's anger, it's envy, it's frustration, it's Ill illogical enthusiasm for something. Whatever it is, you identify it clearly. And then you see it. And by that, I mean, you see it for what it is as an impermanent arising in your consciousness. Anger is not permanent, right? There was something you were angry about when somebody, somebody stole your lunch money when you were 12 years old or something. You're not still angry about that. All of these things are passing and they're impermanent. No matter what has just arisen in your thought or in your emotions, you know, once you can recognize and identify it, that it's impermanent. So you see it clearly. And once you see it as an impermanent arising, you can view it as, as an object, as a thing. And, and in doing that, I, I think you can then switch your awareness to what is real and in your control and what's simply an impermanent object floating there in your consciousness. And finally then, after you've recognized, identified, and switched your attention, you can then execute whatever you need to do next skillfully with some present awareness. So I, I actually call this whole process RISE. R-I-S-E, recognize, identify, switch, and execute. And you can do this all day long. Um, a formal meditation practice, as I said, will also help you set aside time to practice it. I see too many people meditate for 20 minutes a day and then never use that training the rest of their day. The point of meditation is not to clear your mind or to get calm. That's not it at all. The point of meditation is to become faster and more skillful at seeing those thoughts and emotions arise 
so that you aren't yanked around or controlled by them. This is something you can do every day, and I'll give you a concrete example before I wrap up answering. I hope I've answered your question. If you haven't butted in yet, so I think I'm, I, hopefully I'm still on some track. I'm listening. Um, you can edit out the junk later. So I was at the grocery store. This was, this was almost a year ago now, but I was at the grocery store, and the guy in front of me came time to pay, and he looked like he was surprised, like surprised he had, had to pay. And now he starts digging into his pockets trying to find his money. And he, he sort of looked disheveled and I started making up a story about this person and I started getting frustrated. Like, come on, man, did you not know you had to pay for these groceries? Why didn't <laughs> you have your money ready, right? This is what's going through my mind. Now I had no place to be. I had all the time that afternoon. I was enjoying being there. There was nothing else on my mind, but I was suddenly frustrated and cranky about this person. And luckily, because I've been practicing this for a long time, that only lasted about half a second. And I immediately said, you know what? For all I know, this is the worst day of his life. For all I know, he just found out about, a, I don't know, a cancer diagnosis. I don't know what's going on in this person's life. But I do have control of the pain and suffering that I've just inflicted on myself by getting frustrated with him. And it immediately all dissolved. And I thought, you know, the better route here is for me to have compassion for him. This guy is not with it on some level. And, and that's too bad. And I hope, I hope things get better for him. And suddenly it all dissolved away. So I think we can practice this constantly throughout the day. And, the, and I've learned that the more you practice that, the more you see this recognize, identify, switch, and execute, the more you see your, your, your thoughts arising, the better you are at doing what I was talking about earlier, that is turning off the default mode network of the I and the me and the internalizing things. And I think that that does play a role in helping a person to become better at handling it when they trip over that rock in that route and they skin their hand, that they can then just move on with what needs to be done next instead of ruining their race. Awesome. My, uh, Practical tip I can take away, fathers, and what I've practiced as well as people during road rage and like if someone cuts you off or if someone's yelling out the window, if someone runs a red light in anger, all that sort of stuff, um, I constantly just paint that same picture in my head like they're probably having an off day. um, But not only whether you're right or wrong, it just makes you feel better as well. And uh, when you're talking about these things and like practicing mindfulness, it makes me think about just working on your like emotional intelligence and when people are not focusing on mindfulness and they're into this uh, immediate kind of reactionary state, like as soon as someone has an emotional reaction, it's often um, not favorable. If someone doesn't think about it and they tend to just make these emotional decisions, sometimes it's something you're not uh, in your best mind wanting to do. And so if you start working on that emotional intelligence then you can react to situations a bit differently and have a bit more control and um, more of a rational decision. Would you agree with that? Completely. Yeah. Now we do see times when, when a person will have an, an irrational or an over exuberant positive reaction, and then they can quickly get into or say yes to something or um, drop down that bet at the gambling table, if that's who you are, whatever, uh, in a way that 
the positive emotion sweeps you into a bad state, but, but you're absolutely right. By and large, the vast majority of the times, it is that, that negative state that leads down a wrong path, just as you've described. Yeah, that's such a different answer to what I was expecting. And uh, it makes so much sense. So I'm really happy that you covered this topic. And so if you're practicing this mindfulness and these um, decisions and why you're thinking a certain way when you're out on the track or if you're out in the mountains and you're doing a race and sometimes it's hard and all these emotions run through your mind, you can accurately interpret and process them. And then like you were saying, you just have, uh, you can execute things a bit better. Um, that's unreal. I think that's something I've never heard before. It makes so much sense. And I guess my next question would have been strategies to help with that mental state during a race rather than actually practicing. Would you answer the same thing, just uh, interpreting the or having a bit more mindfulness and the strength of mindfulness when, when you are racing? Yeah, I think that's that's the crux of it. That's the big side of it. I could add just a little bit maybe additionally because the last letter in all of that was execute and you know, maybe and that can can have a little bit of different um, uh, interpretations. So that execute component requires really knowing what you need to be doing and doing it sometimes. So as we've described the things like my example in the grocery store line or your example, which is great of, of somebody cutting off in traffic, you know what you need to do is just you know, not react to them, not take it that next step further. But sometimes when it's, say, in a race, it's something like um, you are feeling a hot spot and a blister, and you can start thinking, oh, I knew I shouldn't have worn these new socks or new shoes. I knew I shouldn't have done something, and that can take you down a spiral. But in that situation, there really is something that you should do next rather than just back off. So stopping to take care of that hot spot, for example, before it becomes a blister, before you get to that next day station, even if it's uh, that next day station is just a little further or clearing that rock from your shoe now rather than curling your toes awkwardly to, to try and move it to a more comfortable position and so on. The, the bottom line is is fully and deeply appreciating that every step when you're out there is the same as every other that the, the the last one happens to take you over the finish line but it's no more remarkable than the thousands really that came before it right so every step is is the race i like to think of it this way every step is the race and the race is a single step because in ultras you will have downtime that is psychologically downtime it will go dark so it won't just be that you tripped over a rock there won't be a physical start to it you will have a mental breakdown, if you will. Maybe it won't be so bad as what we would call a breakdown, but it'll be a dark time that came on for seemingly no reason. And so while we're getting to that, you recognize it, hopefully, and you've identified that this is with some state and you switch and now you execute. Is it that you need to eat? Is it that you need to drink? Some people that I coach will carry a card with them. They have to remember now to look at the card, but they'll carry a card that has have i eaten enough have i had enough to drink have i tried music you know they'll have some uh, just a few things that work for them so that when they're feeling down they know pull out the card check these things because believe it or not you're at 2 a.m when you're at mile 60 and you start going mine starts going south you may forget to actually ask when is the last time i ate so that can be just a practical useful takeaway but taking your goals to the very present becomes a great mental strategy in, in races, sometimes even in training. 
don't think about the finish line. Sometimes don't even think about the next aid station. Think about what is truly in your present moment. It may be, I'm gonna run to that next, to that tree I can see in the distance. And when you get there, you pat yourself on the back, small congratulations, and you set another goal. And all you're thinking about is just that. Or maybe it's dark, you can't see a tree, you're using a headlamp, maybe it's 20 breaths. And you say, I'm gonna count 20 breaths and I'm gonna focus on just this current awareness. The mantra that I've used, it might be helpful for people in the past is, I can, I will, I am. And so that plays out for me as I can take another step, I will take another step, and look at this, I am taking another step. And it's like a, a little process and celebration with every step. Um, and that can oftentimes be enough to help you get through. People will come up with their own mantras, but I think those are additional approaches to expanding on that, that letter E of what I just talked about before. So I hope it, I hope it addresses the, the extension that you're asking for. Yeah, and I I think this expands on that question I asked before about the differences between marathons and ultras. Like you never come across these scenarios really. Right. And when you're talking about all this, it's like, wow, this is like totally different. You're no longer just racing in a run. No, this is what I said uh, when we first really got started that it's uh, there's a whole different mindset. It's a different environment. It's a different kind of thing. It, we think running is running, but but it, but it's not. There are lots of different kinds of running. Yeah. These are absolute gems. I'm absolutely loving this. And I've got one final question and I think it might be the toughest to answer. And when I think about those who are just like pushing themselves and just running at ridiculously high mileage, um, it, it asks, well, it prompts me to ask the question, like how can we identify the difference between what is like mental weakness we might call it and warning signs is something might be going wrong and you need to stop and it's when to when to kind of push through certain scenarios and when to slow down and recover and it's a genuine warning sign that the body's in trouble and i guess it's it kind of it's like the difference between like grit or like persevere and like sensibility yeah yeah that is a difficult situation a difficult topic and you're so right to ask it i'm glad you you've asked it a lot of people don't think to really ask ask this ahead of time and it's important really important for people to to work it out ahead of time you know don't leave it to the middle of the race to start then figuring out how they're going to approach this situation and that's part of what i was talking about when i said that philosophy is part of mindset this framework for how you're going to make decisions well you've you've come to that ultimate decision. You're, you're, you're bringing it out here and I love it. I think what you're really asking is about that process of determining whether a runner is giving in to something that really is a normal part of the fatigue process versus when they should stop because it's a smart approach for their health. I don't, I don't think that necessarily mental weakness or mental strength really exist to be honest as as such but rather different states of awareness of what's going on in your mind and and on the background of your intentions of why you're there so real practical ways of addressing this if you have a crew or supporters in ultra marathons we often have crew that meet you that you really trust that know you well and that you've discussed this with ahead of time that part's critical you have to have talked about this ahead of time ask them the next time you see them just 
talk to them about it. Let get their input when they see you, because they're going to see things that you can't see. If you've suffered an injury, like you know you've suffered an injury, then ask a med medical personnel at the next place that there are medical professionals. If you have to walk to that next point, that's fine. Try to stay out of that ugly mental dialogue with using the tools we've already talked about, but get to the next spot and talk to them about it. And honestly, I've even recommended this. You might even keep a written card, this is another card, in your pocket to hand them that explains your the philosophy basically that you want them to use so it might read something like uh, quote uh, like i wrote this before the race i don't want to drop out unless my health is clearly at risk but i'm prone to becoming wimpy and whiny and sorry for myself i need your objective <laughs> help and input to give me the confidence that i can continue unless you are absolutely certain that i'm clearly going to do myself long-term medical physical harm give that to them honestly they may laugh about it but they get it people that work these races they understand that they you, what you're giving them is your pre-race intentions when you are not sure you're going to be able to tap into those pre-race intentions and then they can honestly tell you and they can say you know i think this is just a lack of will and it's not going to cause you long-term harm you might have some real muscle strains here that are going to take a long time to repair but this isn't like your your organs are going to fail and they're going to give you that information and then you can say all right my decision was if that's the case i'm going to keep going so i'm heading out um, even though i don't want to right so nobody and but let me add to that nobody absolutely nobody ever has the right to say anything negative about your reasons for dropping them out ultimately it's your decision yours alone and it's okay it is okay to drop out of a race for absolutely any reason you just really want to set your intentions ahead of time and know them and have a reminder of them so that you're going to make a decision that you're proud of later on. Uh, you should never go into a race without knowing exactly why you're running it. The answer to that why question has to be, absolutely has to be robust to a lack of will or fatigue or that ugly internal dialogue. I mean, deep down, you have to know why you're there. And I think ultimately, though, honestly, most people deep down also all know what an injury is. And so ask yourself in that moment, ask yourself if you want to stop. Is there desire here? Is there a desire arising up that's saying, you know what, I actually just want to stop? And if you know that any part of you just wants to stop, then you know that your judgment is clouded. And you can ask for that external input, or at least begin to see your own situation a little bit more clearly as you separate yourself from that emotion that may be turning just a, a, a typical fall and scrape into something, you know, that, that you think you're blowing up into something that worse than that it really is. I can't believe like you just nailed that answer for such a tough question. And I didn't think I'd, I'd get something so um, complete. And I think I might need to stop asking this question because I think I've got all the answers I need. You covered <laughs> so much. It was uh, not only the decision that you make, but you also ahead of time know that you might not be in the position to make that right decision because, you know, halfway three quarters of the way through an ultra, you might not be thinking clearly. And so you're taking, um, measures uh to predict that and say writing things down and trusting that uh or 
your team and the medical staff, they're all on the same wavelength before the race and then just taking those countermeasures of preparing for that so that if you are in the state where you might not be making sensible decisions, they understand that and can um, work with that. But then also you're taking these countermeasures that after the race, once you've made that decision, it's putting you at a least likelihood for regret in terms of the decision that you make. So you've covered everything. That was awesome. Well, you've, you've got it. I mean, this is, <laughs> I'm so glad that we're, we're, we're having this conversation. This has been, this is a lot of fun. And uh, I think you're, 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 you're nailing it all in the summaries. Perfect. <laughs> is there any other like kind of final message that we might not have covered uh, that you want to get across to the audience before we wrap up? I think about ultra marathon runners a lot, obviously. And I, because I run them, I, I know what goes on in people's heads out there. And the most important message that I can ever give uh, to anybody is to know that you are enough. I struggled with that phrase. I heard that phrase several years ago. And I, I, I loved it when I first heard it, but I struggled with it for about a year and a half. And then one day I was trudging through the snow I was like knee deep in snow, it was winter, but I was just determined to be like out there anyway. So I was just trudging through it, coming to this place I, I often run to. And I was pondering that phrase, you are enough, you are enough. And what is it about that phrase that I knew was missing in my understanding of it? I had always thought of it as, you know, you don't have to do more for anybody else. You don't have to really do more. You, you should celebrate what you do have. Yeah, you can push, but you could, should celebrate what you are and you are enough. But I knew there was something missing there. And weirdly, I got to the, this gate at the end of the portion of trail and it just hit me, hit me like a lightning bolt. Honestly, I, I honestly broke, I literally, I broke down, put my hands on my knees and started sobbing because it actually has some very personal meaning for me, my childhood. We're not going to go there, go there in this <laughs> podcast, but it hit me. I realized I am enough to judge myself. Everybody, and that's part of what I mentioned earlier, nobody has the right to judge why you dropped out. There's, it's your decision. And so the, the final message for me is when you take on these monstrous pursuits for you, and it may be running a 5K, because for you right now, that's epic. That's everything that you can you can do. It may be running a hundred miler. It doesn't really matter to me what it is. It's epic for you. And you are enough to, to judge. You shouldn't even be judging yourself. You are enough to know that you are perfect. You are good just as you are. You're trying to be better, to learn something, to grow in some way. And that's wonderful. But there's nothing you have to prove to anybody else or to yourself. You are internally always enough. So that's my final message. And it's a great way to wrap up. Um, I've got, I'll add the links to your um, Twitter and your YouTube and your website. And it's pretty much just like Science of Ultra across all those boards. But uh, for those who aren't aware of your podcast, Science of Ultra, and they want to um, have a listen. Can you maybe give a brief description of what the podcast is? Yes. I try to bridge the gap between valid, reliable, scientific data and information between that camp 
and the people who actually need to use it, the runners. So I bring on scientists. In the past, I've also brought on coaches and athletes, but it's mostly about bringing the science to bear on reliable, valid, and actionable information that runners can use. And as you might guess, I dabble in a little bit of my own philosophy and thoughts on, on the mental side of things. Brilliant. And uh, I think one of my favorite episodes is when you just delve into the research around cramping. I think there was a lot of, um, a lot of <laughs> yeah. runners out there that know that if they are prone to cramping, what they can do. And it's a testament to the work that you do because you just start quoting like studies after studies after studies. And so it shows the hard work that you put in for every episode. And um, I want to thank you for providing like that sort of avenue and creating this like clear understanding and like practical takeaways because there is a lot of uh, misinformation out there and there is a lot of people that can um, dive down like this road of misinformation and the way you're sort of talking about the science and it's just really important that you like people like you that dedicate your work and provide that avenue for people so that they can get some sound advice and know what is sound advice um it's very it's very good that people like you exist so um thanks for doing that thanks for your podcast and um coming on and sharing a lot of the knowledge on this episode yeah Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's been a great joy talking to you today. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Running Smarter podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content will have on your future running. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and keep listening. If you want to learn quicker, jump into the Facebook group titled Become a Smarter Runner. If you want tailored education and physio rehab, you can personally work with me at breakthroughrunning.physio. Thank you so much once again. And remember, knowledge is power.